Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last month, as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris clashed in the Democratic presidential debates over the issue of busing, viewers may have thought of these programs as being in the past. That's not the case in St. Louis. Our city-slash-county school desegregation program is now in its 38th year. It's called the Voluntary Interdistrict Choice Corporation, or VIC, and it's allowed black city kids to attend schools in largely white suburban districts. And yes, that means lots of time on the bus. The program is the longest running in the U.S., but it's winding down now. It plans to enroll its last new families in 2023. Joining me in studio to talk about what that means for St. Louis area families is Veronica Johnson. She's a civil rights attorney who has represented the NAACP, which helped bring about the busing program by suing the St. Louis schools. We're also going to be joined by two St. Louisans who participated in the desegregation program as students. Malik Shakur is from North St. Louis City and is a 2014 graduate of the Clayton School District. He's since graduated from Webster University with a degree in film production. Hope Rias is from South St. Louis City and is a 1992 graduate of the Pattonville School District. She is now an assistant professor of education at Bridgewater College in Virginia and authored a book called St. Louis School Desegregation, Patterns of Progress and Peril. Have you been a part of St. Louis's busing program? What was your experience? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Veronica Johnson, I want to start with you. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Veronica, it's a very complicated story, but can you give us um, sort of a brief overview of how the VIC program came about in St. Louis? Well, sure. In... um Folks may remember Mrs. Minnie Liddell. Uh, She started the whole thing in 1972, uh, quite a while ago, by filing suit against the uh, St. Louis Public School District, alleging that there was a denial of equal opportunity for African-American children, including hers. Um, Over the years, additional parties joined that suit. The NAACP, who I represented, uh, joined Um, closer to 1982, I believe. And in 83-84 school year, we had in place the voluntary uh, transfer program between the city and the county. So it began uh, then. It has remained um, pretty much the same uh, transfer program for uh, since that time. There have been some substantial changes uh, over the years, but fundamentally it has been designed to remedy the uh, prior segregated school system um, where, uh, according to state policy and law, black children had to be educated in black schools and white children were educated in white schools. And there's been big demand for this program over the years. There's certainly been a lot more families applying to get into it than the program has had spaces. I understand that's still the case, yet they're winding this thing down. Can you tell us a little bit about how we got to this point? Absolutely. There, um, at one time, I think 14,000 students were transferring in between the city and the county schools every year. Um, I think that number is down to about 4,000 this year. Um, When the program started in 1984, um, it was the result of a settlement agreement between the county and the uh, the county school districts and the uh, St. Louis public schools. And it stayed in place under court supervision until 1999 when we had our final settlement agreement. And the settlement agreement provided that um, the 
voluntary transfer program had to continue for a period of at least 10 years. And the magnet school program had to continue for at least 10 years. And so Vic did that. Vic is the um, voluntary interdistrict choice corporation that runs the transfer program. The program is not run by any of the parties to the to the to the um, lawsuit, but they have run it for, uh, they served that 10 years very well, uh, renewed for another five years, another five years, and now we are in the last five years, and they are, they have chosen to wind the program down. I can't speak for um, exactly all the reasons why they've done it, but I believe there is some concern that um, as a race-conscious program that the, vol- that the transfer program uh, would be in- subject to some increased scrutiny where it's subject to a legal challenge. And so they want to switch from a consciously race-based program to something that's more um, based on socioeconomic factors. Okay. Um, so that's that was just a great overview of how we got to this point. Um, we're also joined today by Malik Shakur and Hope Rias, who both participated in the desegregation program as students. Uh, Malik, uh, you're here in the studio. Thanks for joining us. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah. And Hope is joining us by phone. Um, hi, Hope. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, Malik, let's start with you. You went to Clayton Schools. Mm-hmm. What was that like as a kid coming from North City? Um, it's uh, definitely a culture shock. Um, you know, the inner city has its way of life, and then, of course, Clayton has its way of life. It's definitely just like going from, like, you know, rough and rugged to all of a sudden, you know, they're playing, like, Beethoven's Overture and things like that. Um, so it's uh, it, it takes some adjusting. You know, you got to learn how to code switch and fast, you know. And um, Tell us yeah. that, that term you used, code switch. What code. did that mean for you? I mean, like, if you just even, like, look at the way I'm speaking right now. I, I know when I'm back in the city, I don't speak like this in front of my friends. You know, they probably hear me right now saying, like, oh, he don't talk like that. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just for the sake of, you know, just, you know, I, in a way of political correctness, cultural correctness, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for of uh, assimilation, Okay. you know. So when you're talking to white people like me, you're <laughs> going to use one voice, and when you're back with your friends. I mean, just because the stigma of, like, you know, country grammar, as they call it, you know, it's just you're seen as, like, less educated. There's this one moment I remember very vividly. I was in a band program. Uh, we were out. It was a band. It was qualifying to get to state uh, for band, like, you know, band arbitrary or, like, band... I can't even think of the name of it, but uh, we were basically in band competitions, and I was talking to fellow bandmates of mine that, hey, I was asking, I literally said, like, hey, where the restroom at? You know, in a more heavily slang-induced voice. So I was just like, hey, where the restroom's at? And they're just like, hey, where the restroom's at? In a very mimicking manner. Like, like you know, I was just like, you know exactly what I'm saying. So I was just... But they still pro- had to give you some grief yeah, there. Yeah, but I had to suck my probably like, do you know where the restrooms are at? And they just like, oh, that way. You know, just you know, just little nuances like that, you know, or microaggressions as they call it nowadays. There wasn't a word for it back then, but it's microaggressions happen a lot. Um, I mean, but uh, other than that, world class education and um, but just that cultural battle every day was tough. So. And for Hope, for you, I understand you went to private school as a little kid, and then you ended up at Pattonville for high school. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. So my experience with DSEG was different from a lot of other students because I had grown up going to private school. So I had very high quality education. I already went to a predominantly white school. I did not have the experience of going from... Hope, um, can you still hear me? I can hear you. Okay, can you now hear I can hear you again. We just had a little little blip there. Um, okay. So sorry, you were saying you came from this this private school background where it was a really good school and then ended up. Right. Uh, I had a very good education. And so 
when I transferred to the desegregation program in the seventh grade, the biggest change really was the distance. Um, riding a bus 30 minutes a day to school was different, but the cultures were very similar to what I had come from already. So you were very used to being around other being around white kids. Um, did you feel like you were treated differently as a desegregation student versus just being a minority who happened to be in a, a private school that was largely white? I did because I think that many of our classmates and our teachers could not tell the difference. Um, the students who were transfer students often, I think were kind of blanketly thought of as one group. And so the idea that we had come and invaded the school was pretty standard. Um, even though I was a very good student, I didn't have behavior problems, I was in high classes, I think there still was a lot of trepidation about us as a group, even though we were very, very different people. Malik, was that also your experience as somebody in the Clayton schools? Um, just, I would agree, yeah. I mean, even though Clayton was very unique, where there would be a few uh, African-American families that would be in the district, or I actually know some cases of friends who actually, I had a friend actually, I don't want to mention him by name, I don't know the legal ramifications of that, but I had a friend who actually lived right behind me, who then eventually moved to Clayton, the Clayton area, so he could just be closer, you know, drive, you know, just for the convenience. But still, you know, even if you were black, living in Clayton or black in the, you know, desegregation program, you were still black. But I feel like black people who actually lived in Clayton had a slight advantage because, you know, they grew up, you know, they knew these other, their classmates since grade school, you know, they grew up in the Clayton system. While me, I didn't start going to Clayton until middle school. So, and for middle school, I probably didn't find my footing until maybe sophomore, junior year, where I started to, you know, actually get the flow of things. But by that time, I was almost out the door, so... Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hope for you. I mean, was there anxiety that went with that feeling of you felt like people thought you were an invader? Hope, are you are you still there? I think we might have lost hope, um, which is, is very unfortunate. We'll see if we can get her back. Um, Malik, you were I mean, saying oh. the question was about anxiety. Yeah. What, you said that your classmates maybe felt like you were an invader. How did that affect how yeah. you felt being in that situation? I think there was a lot of anxiety and some of it was because I was a high performing student. And even when I was in private school, I was the type of student who was very anxious about my performance. And so that coupled with feeling very isolated, um, I mentioned that I was in the high classes. And even though there were maybe 15 or 20% African-American students, um by the tracking system. And so I would ride the bus with dozens of other children, but then once I got into classes, those brown faces would start to disappear. <laughs> that was so that was something that was a little bit difficult. Um, I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning in high school to get the bus to go to school. Um, and part of that was because it was so far away, but the other part was that I took a zero hour. I took an extra class every year, and so then I was up even earlier. If I had an exam, I would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to study. And I don't know that there was much recognition about the tremendous amount of energy that some of us put in to being successful in these schools. 
That was Hope Rias. Uh, like Malik Shakur, she's a former student in St. Louis's school desegregation program. We're also talking to Veronica Johnson, an attorney for the NAACP. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. We'll return to our conversation about St. Louis's school desegregation program in a moment. But first, here are some of the stories our St. Louis Public Radio newsroom is following today. Today is the deadline for Secretary of State John Ashcroft to sign off on a ballot referendum on the state's eight-week ban on abortions. Organizers must gather 100,000 signatures in the next two weeks to get it on the ballot. The ACLU and the MacArthur Justice Center are suing the Missouri Department of Corrections and its private health care provider, Corizon, for not providing inmates with a cure to chronic hepatitis C. The trial started in Jefferson City on Tuesday and continues today. And the Ferguson Fluorescent School District is announcing a new school safety plan today that includes school-provided clear backpacks for all 6th through 12th graders. They are providing a small pouch for personal items. The backpacks are designed to prevent students from bringing guns to school. Join St. Louis Public Radio this afternoon for local and regional news and throughout the day on our website at stlpublicradio.org. Now back to our conversation with Veronica Johnson, who's been an attorney for the NAACP, and two students who participated in the area's voluntary busing program, Malik Shakur and Hope Rias. Have you participated in St. Louis's school desegregation program? Tweet us at STL on air, send an email to talk at stlouispublicradio.org, or give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Hope, I understand that you um, ended up writing a book about this subject. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Sure. Um, I am an education professor, and when I was working on my dissertation, I was already researching the St. Louis School Desegregation Program because I knew that it was the largest and most expensive, and many people considered it to be the most expensive in the country. And so I was researching it, and I went home to St. Louis for a long weekend of research, and it happened to be the weekend that Michael Brown was shot and killed. And, of course, all the public libraries were closed. Everything was closed down. And I sat in front of the television for three days crying because my city was on fire. And so after Michael Brown was killed, I shifted my research a little bit because I wanted to know what was different about his school and his experience that he ended up the way that he did and I ended up the way that I did. And what I found was Norman D. High School was not effectively part of the desegregation program. And one of the big differences is that in schools that had a low population of black students, the state and the federal government gave those schools 150% per pupil expenditure for every transfer student that it would take. Because Normandy High School already met the quota for the number of black students, they were not given the same money to participate in a transfer program. And so his school was woefully underfunded. And so I have woven that story into the book that takes a look at kind of the history of 
how racism has impacted education policy in St. Louis. That seems like just a really timely topic there. Um, and I think for people who are interested in getting that book, um, you might want to look uh, Google Hope Rias and you can find out more about that. We've got a caller here. I want to turn to the phone lines. Um, let's talk to KC. I understand, KC, that you yourself um, was bussed through this program um, back in the 80s. KC, uh, hi, you're on the air. Hi, thank you. Uh, yeah, I believe I was one amongst the first students to be bussed. Uh, this happened back in 1983, and surprisingly, uh, living in the city, I was bused to a North County school, so that tells you uh, what what was going on back then. But I felt like desegregation was um, a very bad experience for me. It sent the wrong message um, to everyone involved that, number one, our neighborhood uh, was inferior the schools that we attended in our neighborhood were inferior. The student, the students themselves were inferior. I think um, it it really um, just it it really spoke to the disparity in resources, and I felt like that's the message that should have been sent. That uh, it should have been shared with everyone that this is happening because of the disparity in resources, but everyone felt like we were less than and i felt like that was just a bad um experience it was all about total assimilation in my opinion no one wanted us there um the the white students did not want us there the teachers and administrators did not want us there uh the black kids from that neighborhood found it necessary to separate themselves from those that were bust so they wouldn't be confused as being a kid that was bust and just to wrap everything up, I have a question I wanted to ask the representative from the NAACP. Um, why have we always pushed the busing instead of just redistributing uh, resources and keeping people in their neighborhood? Casey, th- yeah. Casey, thank you so much for your call. That's a, that's a very good question. Veronica, do you want to speak to that? Sure. Uh, when the uh, school desegregation case was first settled, there were several components to it, only one of which was the transfer program. Another component of it was the magnet schools, which were better funded than um, the more racially isolated schools. And then the racially isolated schools received additional supports for academic improvements and for um, capital improvements. So there was an effort to Um, redistribute resources within the district. I think that this one component, the voluntary transfer program, since it has gone on for so long, perhaps gets more attention than the magnet schools did or or the other components. And, uh, and I think that that, uh, what you're speaking to this, this um, unequal allocation of resources is at the heart of the desegregation case, the fact that that racially isolated schools simply were underfunded and white schools received more funding. And we we, uh, addressed ourselves to that in a broad manner. Uh, Malik Shakur, you also were a student in this program. Casey described a, a pretty bleak experience when he was doing this back in the 80s. Was your experience overall at least a bit more positive? Um, you know, I went through a lot uh, going through Clayton. Um, you know, I had to attach myself to, like, people who had similar experiences. I stayed close to other um, desegregation students. Um, luckily, uh, 
even though I don't know about saying names, I'm going to say his name because he was a great mentor to me. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Smith at SLU University. Currently, right now, he was my speech and debate coach. Uh, if you're listening right now, I don't know if you are, but I know you like public radio. Um, he was a big influence to me. He took me under his wing my junior year. Um, he got me influenced and helped me join the speech and debate team. Uh, and through his mentorship and his guidance, and Justin Smith, uh, current literacy teacher and still speech and debate coach, uh, Clayton, they took me under their wing and they got me to nationals of speech and debate by my senior year. Um, so it so, sounds like even if maybe some of the other students were hard to deal with, you did connect with some really good teachers. Yeah, some really good, uh, some really good teachers, and like just those gyms, and even Robert Mayasaka in middle school. Um, it was just those gyms, this those teachers that you know showed that they really cared and like cared about me as a person. That really kind of got me through. But you know, uh, you know, students, high school and middle school are rough times for anybody. You know, uh, it's, let alone being a fish out of water coming from a completely different background, from a completely different culture, and, and going to a brand new one where maybe you're not wanted. I did feel that sometimes, or maybe you're treated less than and you're seen as less than, you know, and there's already the struggle and the plight of being black in America on top of that. And then trying to deal with that alone while also growing and developing as a young adult too, you know, it's just, you know, it's just compound on top of compound. So I can understand his experience. And yeah, mine was pretty bleak when I look at it, you know, but at the same time, when I look back and like, you know, try to find what I was grateful for, there were those moments and those people. But um, yeah, it's, it was very rough hands down. But yeah, we've got another caller here that I'd, I'd love to talk to. Um, Harlan Hodge, I understand, was a 1992 Parkway North graduate. Harlan, hi, you're on the air. Hi, thank you so much. I am so excited that we're having this call and that you've got uh, Malik and Hope and Veronica on the line. First thing I have to say is that I had an amazing experience in the Parkway School District, and that's probably because Parkway is so far superior than the uh, the uh, Pattonville School District and Clayton. Ah, those are some biting ah, words right there. Wow, okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. I ain't going to say nothing. Let's go, listen to your piece. Malik's not going to argue with you, Harlan. Malik, I, I totally agree with what Malik has said about the teachers. What I found at Parkway was that we were totally embraced by uh, our teachers and administrators. And if I could just give a shout-out to a couple of names, Don Cinti and Don Hugo and Albert Harold and Carletta Harlan and Susan Yushatel, uh they did an amazing job of, of introducing St. Louis St. Louis to something that had never been done before. And so managing that process was, they were, they were doing something that we didn't know about. And so everybody was sort of guessing at it. Uh, but one of the things that was instituted at Parkway North was this assumption of goodwill, that we didn't know what was going to happen, but that we all had the assumption of, that we were going to, uh, we, were, we were acting out of each other's best interests, Although we might be ignorant, if somebody stepped on somebody's toes, we would assume that they didn't mean to harm us on purpose and that we would be able to heal that harm. And so the, the, the lessons that I learned through that experience, I still apply in my everyday life. And, I'm, I'm, I, I, and, and as a diversity and inclusion uh, professional in the region, most of my knowledge, background, experience comes through from that experience I had in high school as a DSEG student. Uh, thank, so, thank you so much for that, Harlan. Um, Hope Rias, is that also true in your case, that you feel like there's a lot of good that has that came out of your experience or not so much? Well, first I'll say that I have known Harlan since I was about 12 years old, and he is going to pay for that show. For <laughs> <that time. laughs> um, I had a very mixed experience. I guess I'm in the middle of the two gentlemen. So I definitely had 
friends and I had some teachers who were really on my side and really advocated for me. And I also found the exact opposite. And so for me, it was really a matter of navigating the best of times and the worst of times. And I worked very, very hard to prove that I was not the stereotype. And in hindsight, I really wonder the impact that it took on me having to do so much extra to prove that I was not a stereotype as opposed to what my experience might have been if we were just met with the same goodwill that Harlan encountered in his school district. I see Malik nodding as you're talking. Um, Did you have that same thought? I mean, there's such an emphasis in uh, the black community and even like black culture of like, uh, my mom said it best, like don't embarrass me in front of these white folks. You know, like it's such an emphasis on trying to perform essentially, you know, where you just try to put your best foot forward to the point where you're putting on a mask and you're not being authentically you. Um, and it's restricting and it feels like there's just this imaginary weight on your head where it's just like, oh my goodness, I have the weight of the entire black community on my shoulders. You know, I feel like if I'm going to mess up with like, oh, well, there he goes, of course, or of course you're underperforming. Like, oh, what did we expect? You know, and if you overperform, it's like, oh, well, you're such a, uh, you're such a, a proud statement to your race, you know, and it's just, uh, you just kind of, I want to say you have to let that go because I feel like, yes, you should take pride in who you are and like be a, a accurate and a proud representation of who you are. But at the same time, it's like, it's it's just it's not fair you know that we like you know we have to like hold that on on us you know we have to like perform every day to prove that we are better we have to jump loops and bounds to be considered just as good you know because we already discredited from the start you know so we've got time for just one more question and there's so much more i wish we could cover here but veronica i know you've been a big advocate for desegregation and now that they're looking at phasing out this program what would you like to see happen next well I'd like to see the program continue. I want to be very clear about that. I I feel that that it has had enormous benefits. We haven't talked about benefits to um, to white students to have a more integrated, more diverse um, classroom. I I'm concerned about the cost that. African-American students have have born here. But I would like to see the program continue. I'd like to see a groundswell of public support to uh, be involved with their superintendents of their districts, to be involved with the VIC board members, and to say, we want this program to continue. We want to have a more diverse environment in our classrooms because our children are going to be living and working in a diverse environment in this world. That was Veronica Johnson, who has been an attorney for the NAACP. Veronica, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And uh, Hope Rias, thank you for for being here on the phone as well. Thank you. And Malik Shakur, um, a graduate of Clayton High School, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you.